Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. So we're on part two of this series, uh, certain things that Jesus didn't say, and uh, the name of the series really is this, Jesus Didn't Say That. Uh, I guess we could have almost titled it that that's not in the Bible, <laughs> uh, because there's an awful lot of stuff sometimes that we think that Jesus said. Uh, we think Jesus said it because people say it all the time, and, and there's books and stuff that said, well, Jesus, this is what Jesus wanted. Uh, yeah, but did he say it? Or this is what Jesus said. Well, I don't know. And uh, uh, so... Um, and, and what we're going to do tonight, like we did last week, I'm just going to just make you aware of some authors and some people that say stuff that they claim this is what Jesus said, and it's not true. He didn't say it. Um, and my, my intention, just so you get it, just so you understand, is I'm not trying to be mean to the author. You know, it's not like, let's go egg their house, you know, let's ban their books. It's not that at all. Uh, I'm sure they're wonderful people. I'm sure they're nice people. I'm sure if we sat down and had coffee with these people, we'd love these people. Uh, and I'm sure they're smarter than all of us combined. I get it. But the fact is that they publish books, they're on the radio, they're on television, and they say stuff. And it's like, nah, yeah, but it's just not true, Okay. Uh, and I don't know why people do that. You think like these people have author publishers and, and proofreaders and stuff like that, that they would be kind of like, no, nah, don't say that. But they did. So um, uh, a really great book to read about this uh, uh, is a book called Faulty Foundations uh, by Dr. John Clark. He's a friend of mine, uh, lives down south. And uh, do we have a picture of his book? Yeah, that's on Amazon. It's a great book to read if you want to get it. Um, he's a good friend of mine. And, and, and this topic that we're talking about tonight is similar to the very, it's like kind of a part two of what we talked about last week. It's very important because it deals with the gospel. So we're not talking about like side issues, you know, like, well, how short should a guy's hair be? You know, how long should a girl's dress be? You know, we're not talking about these kind of side things. We're talking about issues that deal with the whole core of the Bible, the heartbeat of the Bible, uh, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, and that is, that is the, the salvation of mankind by the gift of God sending his son to die on the cross, okay? So these are very pivotal issues. These are very important issues that I think as a church we always have to be sharp on. Uh, like I said last week, I had three people in one week ask me some questions, and they said, yeah, but the Bible says this, and they listed, duh, 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 these three different things by three different people, and I was like, mm, no, the Bible doesn't say it. And I literally took my Bible and said, why don't you show me where it says that? And they said, yeah, but so-and-so said it. Oh, well, okay, so-and-so said it, but it's not the Bible. Jesus didn't say that. So we had to be very, very careful about this. And, and remember that when we talk about the gospel, people's eternity is at stake. So here at Dayspring, we don't, we don't joke around. We don't kid around. We don't, we don't be flipping about the gospel. We are just dead, dead, dead serious on what the clarity of the gospel is. That's what we stand for. Uh, win, disciple, send. That's the three things our church does. And um, uh, we have to be just crystal clear with what the gospel is. We can't be sloppy. Well, so-and-so said it. I don't care if so-and-so said it. it doesn't, I don't give a rip what so-and-so said. What I give a rip about is what this book says. Okay, ready? Quick pop quiz. True or false? This is the only book that God wrote. True. Okay, it's the only book God wrote. All right? Don't forget that. Okay? So let's just kind of remember that. And God's smart enough that He told us what He wanted to say. And if there's something else He wanted to tell us, I think 
God was wise enough to tell us everything we needed to know, okay? And I don't think God oopsed and, oh, I forgot to, oh, I should have put that in there. You know, he didn't do that because he's God. So uh, it is a real big deal. So uh, we started off talking last week about a guy that we all know, John MacArthur, uh, wrote this book uh, 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 that was really popular back in kind of in the 80s, The Gospel According to Jesus. Uh, he's kind of the forerunner on this, this term called lordship salvation. It's a term that uh, kind of is made up, just kind of describe what it is, but that salvation is dependent upon the lordship of Jesus in someone's life. And, and he is really kind of the perp- uh, perpetrator of this theology in modern time. He's a nice guy. He's got a lot of integrity. I appreciate, I really do appreciate his response during the whole COVID thing and the church is getting shut down in California. I, I mean, I really do appreciate that. And uh, he's a moral guy, you know, saying there's never been scandals with him. And I appreciate that. I really do. I think that's great. But I think it's just important that we learn from this and, uh, and that we understand. And, and I want you to see the quotes because I don't want you to say, well, Pastor Dan's just, you know, overstating John MacArthur or John Piper or Paul Washer. No, I'm not overstating. I'm going to show you their quotes, and this is literally what they, they said in their book. So they got them published. So if they went through the effort of writing it, having it proofread, and paying the money to have it printed, they must have been pretty serious about it. It's not like some flippant comment, well, I think he said this. I heard him in a coffee shop. No, you put it in, in print, so you must believe it, you know? So uh, let's just do a real quick review, though. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is clearly defined in the Bible, uh, n- numerous different places, but the easiest place to kind of look at it in a condensed version is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You see the verses there, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. So I'm going to tell you what the gospel is, which also you have received and wherein you stand, but which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, so I'm telling you what I was told, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, okay? So in a nutshell, that's the gospel. Christ died on the cross, was buried, rose again, okay? That's, I mean, it's, it sounds like that's simple. Yeah, that's, that's what the gospel is, okay? It's nothing more, nothing really less than that. That's what it is. Now, John MacArthur, like we stated last week, again, just for the sake of review, uh, states in his book, uh, and, and, and lots of different places, I'm going to give you a condensed of what we talked about last week. Go online, listen to the podcast. When talking about what is the, is the gospel of Jesus Christ, well, here's what John MacArthur said. Well, it's yielding completely to Christ's lordship. Is that vital and element of true saving faith? And therefore, the proclamation of his lordship is an absolute necessity, necessary component of the true gospel. In fact, Surrender to Christ is an important aspect of divinely produced saving faith, not something added to faith. So those people that are in the lordship camp recognize that unbelievers not only recognize Christ as Lord, which we believe, of course, Jesus is Lord, absolutely, but also submit to his active reigning in their lives as a condition for salvation. Okay, And you will see this throughout, and again, uh, listen to the broadcast from last time we were together on this last, uh, last Sunday night. Another very popular author in this is John Piper. Uh, He says this. What is the gospel according to John Piper? This is what he says. Saving faith is no simple thing. It has many dimensions. Quote, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is a massive command. It contains a hundred other things. Unless we see this, the array of conditions for salvation in the New Testament will be utterly perplexing. Here we go. We must believe on Jesus and receive him, and turn from our sin, and obey him, and humble ourselves. Let me count. Believe, receive, 
Turn, obey, humble. That's five things. Like little children and love Him more than we love our family. Six. Our possessions. Seven. And our own life. Eight. This is what it means to be converted to Christ. This alone is the way of life everlasting. <laughs> so no, I'm not overstating John Piper or John MacArthur. They're pretty serious about this. You know, this is a big deal. Again, we talk about this verse every Sunday, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. Obeying, turning from your sin, humbling, loving Jesus more than your family, loving him more than your possessions, loving him more than your life. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, that's the quick review. That's kind of kicking us off for tonight where we're picking up at today. So, we're going to spend the next few minutes uh, talking about a word that sounds difficult, but it is not a difficult word, and I, I want you to understand it because we're going to talk about this, and I want you to just to get kind of what I say when we're talking about it. The word is sanctification, okay? So we're going to start to talk about what is sanctification. Sanctification is the action of making or declaring something holy. It's setting something apart. It's, it's the growing or the maturing as a Christian. Um, and so when we talk about sanctification, that, again, it sounds like a big, heavy word. It's just a word that, that kind of like is an umbrella word that talks about the process of becoming like Christ, the process of growing or maturing as a Christian. We call it sanctification or sanctifying something, okay? Sanctification, and we're going to talk about this, is different than salvation, kind of almost sound the same, but they're two different words. So sanctification. Now, sanctification or this, this becoming like Christ, if I could minimize it like that, has three different, three different uh, aspects to it. Uh, I actually totally agree with John MacArthur's definition of sanctification on this, uh, and it's really good. So we have uh, three different tenses, if you would. It's a simple way to just kind of remember it. There's three aspects to what sanctification is. This sounds a little heavy. It'll make sense. Let me just get through it. The first part is this. There's the past sanctification, which is our positional justification, positional justification. So the moment you are saved, follow me, the moment you are saved, the moment that you, God, I realize I'm a sinner, I can't do it, I, I can't pay for it, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross paid for my sin, okay? I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a positional sanctification, meaning this, at that moment that I trust in Christ for the first time, I am literally now in Christ. I, I, I can't even think of a good, I'm in Christ, Okay? It's positionally. It's like where physically I am. Well, I'm in Christ now. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Okay? Um, th this is how God sees us. When you become a Christian, God looks at Dan Rehoff. When I became a Christian, God says, oh, yeah, Dan Rehoff. Well, he's, he's, in, he's in Christ. You'll hear that term a lot in the Bible, New Testament, in Christ. Positionally. You're now in Christ, okay? And so we say that's the past. Why? Because whether you got saved a minute ago or, you know, 10 years ago, it's the past, right? It happened just a second ago, right? You, you got saved five minutes ago, whatever, and it happened in the past, all right? Now, um, well, I don't want to go down this rabbit trail, but I will. You have to remember this too. When God sees everything, Okay, because remember, God's not bound by time. 
We, we can't grasp that concept. But God's not bound by time. So when God sees Dan Rehoff, he sees me in Christ. And, and we'll, we'll jump on this in a second. It's kind of like how you have ultrasounds nowadays. You know, they didn't have ultrasounds as good. They had them, but not as good as they do now. They're like this blob. And you'd look at it, and you're like, oh, it's beautiful. And I'm like, what? Turn it over? <laughs> I don't see a kid there at all, you know. But somehow they can tell what kind of kid it is. Um, but now they have the 3D ultrasounds. Have you seen those? And I mean, goodness sakes, you can tell everything about the child. You know, oh, I mean, literally, it just, it's just a face. You can see colors. You can see all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, it's an amazing thing. So people that get ultrasounds and they know all that, they get those really high-definition ultrasounds, they, they've already named the baby. They've already decorated the baby's room. You know, here comes little Billy, and, you know, and Billy, here's his room. They already know how much the baby's going to weigh. They know everything about the baby, and so it's literally like, yeah, well, Billy's coming, you know, in three days, and it's just like, ah, oh, Billy's here. You know, it's no surprise. I personally like to be surprised on that. I think there's very minimal surprises left in Lifetime nowadays. You know, there's, there's well, except for the Packers game last night. Now, that was a surprise, but outside of that, there's, there's minimal things to be surprised. I like being surprised with our kids. How many of you were surprised at your children, like their sex and stuff? Anybody here? Okay, the rest of you, you, just, you planned, you knew it, you are just, okay. How many of you would rather have known everything? Like, okay, yeah, all right, that's fine. Um, you're wrong, but that's fine. Uh, no, I don't care, it doesn't matter. Well, being in Christ is kind of like that. God knows. He knows everything, right? Oh, yeah, there's Dan Rehoff. Yeah, and, and this is who Dan Rehoff is, and this is what he looks like, and this is everything about Dan Rehoff, and Dan Rehoff is, is in Christ, and as far as I'm concerned, remember, God's not bound by time. As far as I'm concerned, it's just as good as if, if Dan Rehoff was with me in heaven today, and, and Dan Rehoff's perfect. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm not waiting for him, because I'm not waiting for anybody, you know? <laughs> so, Becoming like Christ, there's three parts of it. The first, first one that we refer to is past or positional. The second one is present. That's right now. That's progressive sanctification. This is what we live in in the real world. This is the day we're living in. Uh, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Every day, Dan Rehoff is trying to become more like Christ. Let me ask you a question, church. Every day, are you trying to become more like Christ, yes or no? Yeah, I mean, is anyone going to say, no. Nah. I'm trying to become less like him. No, no, you're trying to do it. Every day you want to make a right decision. You want to do a right thing, okay? So that's the present. We're not perfect in the present. We're living out. We're stuck by time. It takes a while. And then there's future uh, uh, sanctification or, or called perfect glorification. And this is when in the future. This is when. This is when we're done with the present and we're literally in heaven, okay? So what's sanctification? Sanctification is being set apart, becoming more like Christ. Okay, ready? The moment I got saved, I'm literally in Christ. Okay, God sees me. I'm in Christ. Every day, though, I'm getting up. I'm living my life. I'm making decisions. I'm having to think about what I think about. And this, this is the present. I'm struggling with it. There's good days and there's bad days. Someday I'm going to die. I'm going to step into heaven. And I'll be perfect. Okay? Past. The present, which is right now, but in heaven, I will be like Christ. I won't have to try. I won't have to think about it. Boom. In heaven, glorified body. I'm like that. Now, all that to say that. that that's, that's sanctification. That's the, the concept of it. Um, and, and most lordship proponents, most of these people we're going to talk about tonight, they agree with that basic concept. Okay? The, the problem or the area that, that we disagree in or that we struggle in is, is that... Uh, 
those lordship proponents, these teachers of this, haven't lived in the real world. <laughs> they, they exclude a lot of this, the reality of the fact that me and you live in the real world and we have real struggles. I don't know John MacArthur. Maybe he just lives a lot, around a lot of really good people that just don't sin. Maybe, he, maybe they don't have an addiction recovery program. I don't know. Maybe he has no friends that have tried to quit smoking. I don't know. But what we're going to see from his writings and stuff is that, is that his concept, his belief on this, his understanding of this is that Christians living right here in the present day don't really struggle with sins because a Christian doesn't struggle with sin anymore. And if you're struggling, greed, lust, envy, jealousy, smoking, drinking, doing drugs, porn, if you got a struggle, <laughs> you must not really be saved because you, you, you can't struggle with that as a Christian. It's impossible because you're a Christian. Ugh. That's why we have a very, <laughs> very much disagree with that. So what, where the back end of that comes around is this. Someone like that will say, well, you are not a Christian. This person says, I tried to quit smoking. I tried to quit watching porn. I, I just can't. I'm, I'm struggling every day. I read his book, and now he says I'm not saved. What do I do to get saved? I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to start work. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not smoking cigarettes anymore, and that will prove I'm saved. And now what are you doing? Now you're working for your salvation, aren't you? <laughs> right? See how this bad cycle starts? There's an awful lot of people that quit, quit the Christian life because they say, I can't do it. I must not really be saved because if I was saved, I wouldn't have this struggle. All right, let's take a look at it. Problem number one. Lordship proponents, lordship teachers say that there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. So John MacArthur will say very clearly, there is no such thing as a carnal the word carnal means fleshly or worldly. So if we have a Christian who's acting really good and doing the right things, you say, well, that Christian's spiritual. If you have a Christian who's struggling with worldly desires and, and fleshly, fleshly desires, think of the word carnival, fleshly. He'd say, oh, boy, those are, those are not spiritual desires. Those are worldly desires. John MacArthur says, no, no, there's no such thing as a worldly fleshly, carnal Christian. Take a look at this quote. The tragic result is that many people think it's fairly normal for Christians to live like an unbeliever. As I noted, contemporary theologians have devised an entire category for this type of person, the carnal Christian. Who knows how many unregenerate people, how many people that are truly unsaved is what he's saying, have been lulled into a false sense of spiritual security by the suggestion that they are merely carnal. Please do not misunderstand me. Christians can and do behave in carnal or fleshly ways. But nothing in Scripture suggests that a real, a real Christian might pursue a lifestyle of unbroken indifference and antagonism towards the things of God. He says a real Christian. There's nothing in, nothing in the Scriptures, is what he just said, that suggests that a real Christian would struggle with sin. Now, time out. Put all that on hold for a second. I want you to note tonight, I want you to note how many times in these quotes you hear this term, or these terms. Real believer, true believer, real faith, 
saving faith as opposed to a false believer, a false faith, a non-saving faith. So they're going to say these terms like that's a real believer. So what he just said is there is, <laughs> there is no Christian that has a, there's no real Christian that truly would struggle with a worldly or fleshly desires, okay? Now, um, uh, let's see, do I have time? There's a couple of quotes here. Let me just give this. Uh, uh, author Walter Chantry states in his book, in a panic over this phenomenon, worldly Christians, the evangelicals have invented the idea of, quote, carnal Christians. So they're saying this is made up. These are said to be folks who have taken the gift of eternal life without turning from their sin. They have allowed Jesus to be their Savior, but they have not yielded to their life to the Lord. So they've, they got saved because they took salvation, whatever, but they haven't turned from it. And so they're not really doing it the right way here. Paul Washer, very popular, you see him on YouTube and stuff, in regard to the carnal Christian says this, God's work of sanctification is the evidence that he's truly a justified man. There is no such thing as a continuously carnal Christian. Again, carnal is fleshly or worldly. So, according to Paul Washer, there is no Christians that would smoke cigarettes. You, you, just, you, don't, you don't do it. It's impossible. Or watch porn. There's just no way. There's no such thing as a continuously carnal Christian. It's not in the Bible. That's what his quote is in his book. It is not in the Bible. It is not in church history. It's a fabrication of American Christianity. And of course, we have to have it because it's the only way we can explain that the great majority of most of our churches are carnal and worldly. <laughs> okay, do you have your Bible tonight? <laughs> We're going to take a look at what Jesus talked about, what the Bible says. Uh, there's a book over here in the very far right called Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians. This was a, a book written to a church in Corinth. That's the name of the town, Corinth. It'd be kind of like, you know, we're here in Pewaukee. It'd be like if he wrote a letter to the Pewaukeeans, you know, we're in Pewaukee. So uh, in, in Corinth, uh, the, the book is 1 Corinthians, the first letter. The guy named Paul wrote this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God himself. Uh, he writes this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll look at verse 1. And this is Paul talking to the church. And I, brethren, note the term brethren. He's referring to them as brothers in Christ. Okay, it's, He's not talking to unsaved people. He is talking to saved people. Uh, whenever you see that, and you'll see it actually a lot in the book of Corinthians. And I, fellow Christian or fellow brother, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. I can't speak to a spiritual people. But as unto carnal. The word there also being the word, the word fleshly even as unto babes in Christ. So I can't speak to you guys as spiritual church. I'm speaking to you as babes that are worldly. That's who I'm talking to right now. Look at the next verse, verse 2. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. So I, I can't even give you guys some serious meat to dig into. I'm giving you milk. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither uh, yet now are you able. You guys, this is like a bunch of baby Christians. I'm having to give you milk all the time. Oh, no, look at verse 3. Now, wait, what did John MacArthur and Paul Washer say? The word carnal is made up. It's not in the Bible? I don't know what Bible they're reading. Verse 3. For you are yet carnal. Uh, Paul just called the Christians and told them that they're carnal, they're fleshly. Now, okay, fine. Maybe John MacArthur, maybe Paul Washer, maybe they don't have the King James. Totally fine. I looked it up on all the other versions of the Bible. It's the same 
It's the same word. It's fleshly, it's worldly, it's carnal, it's the exact same word. They all mean the exact same thing, same Greek word. It doesn't matter what version of the Bible he's reading. He says this, you Christians are carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, you're not carnal and walk as men. So look, go down to chapter 5, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. So what was the problem in the church? Well, it's a pretty big problem. It was the worst problem I've ever seen in a church. It is reported commonly. Side note, this isn't some secret. I didn't hear about this in the back alley. Someone, I didn't hear about this, you know, gossip. It's common knowledge in your church, Christians, baby Christians. Here's what's common knowledge. That there is fornication among you. Everyone here know what fornication is? Okay, adultery is when you're married and you have sex outside of marriage. Fornication is when you're not married and you're having sex outside of marriage. It is reported commonly that there's, there, there's sex outside of marriage among you. And such fornication, it is not so much as named among the Gentiles. The unsaved don't even do what you guys are doing. You guys, you guys are a perverted mess at that church. Look at the next phrase. That one should have his father's wife. You guys are a disaster. It's, this is so bad. This is so terrible. You're, you're, you're fornicating with, with, your, with your dad's wife. So is it their mother? Is it his, their stepmother? It's common knowledge in the church, Christians. So this isn't some secret. He's not talking to the unsaved. It's not like he's going down to Skid Row. He's not like he's going down to Vegas. He's talking to the church inspired by the Holy Spirit for all of eternity, this book will last. You understand that, right? This wasn't just something, you know, this is forever. And, and so it's not like a mistake, okay? God allowed it to be put in the Bible forever. And he calls the church, if we were to go on and read it some more, he calls them to repent. Eventually we talk, we read more of the story. They do, they change their ways. But the point is there, there's a problem and it's known. And he says, listen, you guys are so not spiritual. You're such a disaster. You're carnal. Uh, what are some of the other things that we can read in, in Corinthians about how bad the church is? Well, they had a problem of, of claiming spiritual, spiritual superiority over one another. They walked around saying, well, I'm better than you. Could you imagine being in a church like that? Wouldn't that be awful? Well, I'm going to sit over here because all the spiritual people sit in this side. Because that's called a clique, right? Well, I'm sitting over here because we, we believe this. And I'm sitting over here because we believe this. So they had this really big problem with everyone in the church thinking that they were smarter or more spiritual than the other person. Great. Uh, they were suing one another. Uh, they took each other to court all the time. They were abusing the, the community meals and the communion that they had. They were totally taking communion wrong. Uh, of course, this whole sexual misbehavior that they're having. And Paul's saying, listen, my, my goal, my plan for you is you should have higher moral, ethical standards. You're a Christian. You should be different than the world. That's what he says. Your acting should be different than the world. But he never, in the entire book of 1 Corinthians, entire book of 2 Corinthians, as a matter of fact, the entire Bible, you never see Paul question their salvation. He never does it. He doesn't say, oh, I wish you guys were saved. <laughs> he doesn't say it. Uh, he never says that they're heathens. He never calls them unsaved. How about this? He never says that they obviously, you know, aren't true believers. He doesn't, he doesn't qualify like a true believer versus a false believer or real faith versus not saving faith. He never qualifies that. He never says it once. 
Uh, he never says, well, some of you have got a false security of your salvation. You're all going to burn in hell, but you think you're Christians and you're not. He doesn't say you're fooling yourself. He doesn't say you're lying to yourself. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say you have real faith or you don't have real faith or you're true faith or true believer or you're not true believer. Um, yet John MacArthur and Paul Washer said this, this word is not in the Bible. I, I don't know what they're talking about. Don't you think they have proofreaders that read their books? Don't they say, uh, Mr. MacArthur, don't... I don't think you should publish that. It is in the Bible. Have you read the book of 1 Corinthians? Apparently, all I know is this. Apparently, the Apostle Paul did not read John MacArthur's book before he wrote 1 Corinthians. Because I don't know why he said that. But um, it just doesn't make sense to me. So the, the bottom line is, is, is this on that, that there is such a thing as a worldly Christian. Okay? It's very real. The, the churches that I know that have an addiction program on Friday night, an RU program, let's say, they get it, that there are Christians that struggle with worldly sins. I, the truth is all Christians do. Most churches are too proud to admit it. There's an awful lot of Baptist churches that I've talked to that said, I will never have an addiction recovery. They've told me that. Why not? We don't need it. You don't need it. Why not? Because true believers don't have habitual habits. <laughs> And then they look at me and say, well, Pastor, you don't go to your addiction program. And I say, are you kidding me? I'm a student and I'm the director of the program. <laughs> because we all have addictive habits. Who doesn't have, I mean, you're lying to yourself if you say that you don't have some kind of a habitual habit that you don't, I mean, that, have you ever, like, jealousy or envy or greed or pride? Pride is habitual in my book, right? I mean, it happens and, and you, you think about, yeah. Um, uh, you know, we have our Friday Night Addictions program to help people get saved, of course, lead people to Christ, but we also have our Friday Night Addiction Recovery program to help people learn how to, to live a life as an ethical Christian, to, to live a life of a higher calling. So, um, uh, shame on the Apostle Paul for not having read John MacArthur's books, I don't know. But uh, well, think about this for a minute, though. What about Jesus? So what did Jesus say in this? Well, I'm sure there's other stories, uh, instances that we can think about this. Here's the one that I thought of. There is no way I'm getting this done today. Um, do you guys know who Peter was, right? Raise your hand if you know who Peter was. Okay, Peter, uh, how many years was Peter with Jesus? How many years did he work with him? Three and a half. Three, three and a half. Okay, uh, someone real quick, help me out, ready? Name a miracle that Peter saw with his eyes that Jesus did. Okay, there, was there a bunch of things? Okay, did Peter see all those things? All right, did, did Peter, like, wow, this is pretty cool. okay. Jesus goes to the garden, brings his disciples with him. Could you guys pray for how long, church? For an hour. What did they do? I'm sorry. They did what? Okay, and then Jesus came back and said, hey, can you not stay awake with me for a little bit, right? And what did they do? Sleep again. That sounds like a habit to me. <laughs> yeah, what, what? Can't you guys stay awake with me? It's, it's, the, it's the worst night of my life, right? I, I'm going to die tomorrow, you know, for mankind. And you can't even pray. I, I think a real spiritual Christian would have been like, well, sure, let's pray for an hour. Sounds great. How many here, any of you here pray for an hour? Solid? That's pretty tough, isn't it? Yeah, I, that's real tough. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've done it once. <laughs> that was hard. Um, okay. Next day, or that night, Jesus gets brought to the court. He's in front of all the court. We're going to, you know, say to crucify him pretty soon. Peter's over there. 
right? Remember the story about Peter? He is over there. There's a teenage girl. What's the teenage girl say to him? Oh, aren't you one of those followers of Jesus? And what does Peter say? No. Someone else comes up to Peter and says, oh, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And what does Peter say? Someone else comes up to him. Hey, don't you know this guy Jesus? And what does Peter say? Is, is that a habit? Is, that a, is there a pattern? Do you see a pattern of denying Christ? I see a very big pattern. <laughs> Three times in I don't know how long it was, an hour, maybe a couple hours, five minutes, I don't know what it was. But Peter denies Christ. The crucifixion takes place, risen again. Uh, Peter gets, do you remember the rest of the story, end of the book of John? Of course you do, right? Read it. It's really cool. Peter decides, you know what, I've had it with this, I'm done with this. Peter gets a bunch of his disciple friends, we don't know all who he has with him, and he says, hasta la vista, we quit the ministry. He quits the ministry. Time out. What did Jesus, what did before tell Peter to do? Go into all the... I'm not doing that, what Jesus told me to do. Jesus told you to go into all the world to preach the gospel. Nah, I think I'm going to go back and become a fisherman. He goes back and takes his same old job. They have a bad attitude, a stinking bad attitude. Him and a bunch of his buddies, they're there. And what happens? Jesus meets them on the beach. Do you remember that story? Yeah, come on over, Peter. Let's have a little chit-chat. The first thing that Jesus says to Peter, correct me if I'm wrong, is he says, Peter, you obviously don't have saving faith. Because you just quit on me after three and a half years. You bum. <laughs> you obviously true don't have true believing faith. You truly must not be saved. Because what happened? Do you remember what happened that night? At, yeah, in front of yeah, at the court. Yeah, do you remember you denied me many times? Yeah. Well, I wish you'd get saved, Peter. Is that what he said to Peter? Does Jesus ever question Peter's salvation? Ever. No, he doesn't do it. What does he say to Peter? Well, have some fish, Peter. <laughs> what does he say? Go do what I told you to do in the first place. Go take care of the church. Feed my sheep. Peter, I'm telling you, go do what I told you to do. Get off your backside and go do it. Get up and go feed my sheep. He never says, Peter, <laughs> you obviously have a pattern of worldliness. You're obviously not saved. He says, yeah, you, you blew it and you failed me. Get up and go do what I told you to do. Stop complaining. Right now, let's go. Right? He never questions his salvation. That would have been a perfect opportunity for Jesus to lead him to the Lord if he wasn't saved. Right? But he doesn't do that. He says, get up and let's get going. And he's never, never, never questioned. All right. We're going to have to hit the pause button right there. Um, but that is the first problem that we're, we're looking at tonight. We'll, we'll work on this again the next few weeks. And again, my, my purpose is not to, to be mean, or that's not it. My purpose is to make sure we understand that there's some doctrine out there that's really bad. And so when someone says there's no such thing as a carnal Christian, you open up the book of Corinthians and say, actually, there is something called a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian is a worldly Christian, someone who's fighting their old nature and their new nature. Remember how we see that in the New Testament? I want to do this, but I want to do And there's a battle every day of your old and new nature. Should I go to church? Should I stay home? Should I watch this? Should I listen to that? What should I do? You know, should I talk to that person? Should I take those drugs? Should I, whatever. 
Your, your, your old and new nature are battling every day. It's not whether you're saved or not. Matter of fact, my Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. My Bible says that a saved person who has an old and new nature, there's a battle that's taking place, and it's a spiritual battle. What should I do every day? It's not a matter of whether you're saved or not. It's a spiritual battle that's taking place. It's a matter of, back to our word, sanctification, growing, okay? Do I go to church today? Do I stay home? Do I watch a good TV show? Do I watch a bad TV show? Do I swear today? Do I watch porn today? You know, what is it, right? Every day we're constantly having to make those decisions, and it's our old nature and our new nature. That's, that's the truth of a saved person. That there is a battle taking place. very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.